Palestine Little are joined by my co-hosts Drew and Tanner. The three amigos are back together, not in person, but digitally all in the same space. Uh, we are have the opportunity today to have a great guest, Mizaho Morrison, and uh, she does all the stuff with Hippo. She's going to go into that a little bit, but Mizaho, thanks so much for coming on. Hey guys, thank you so much for having me. Joining the three amigos, it's quite a, uh, an honor. Oh, only when we're self-proclaimed three amigos, so I really don't know <laughs> if it means anything. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we're probably more of the outlaw part of the Three Amigos than the actual Three Amigos. Um, so we are we brought you on today one because I've been a huge fan of yours for a long time. I think we all have because uh, oh, FOMED and Twitter gives us a bunch of digital friends that you follow yeah. and that you keep track of, and it's always nice to connect um, with people in real life, or at least this way, at least over a hangout session, um, and hopefully in real life we can connect, and uh, it's always fun. So we've had a lot of those people on, and you've been on our list for a while, so we appreciate you coming on. So Mies, we kind of wanted to talk with you specifically because you're super dynamic in the way that she graduated from residency and just kind of hopped right into a couple different ventures. You know, we, we always talk about as physicians, we're always looking for our side hustle or our side gig. I always joke that I have one. It's called, it's a podcast and it costs me money every month. So it's not really like <laughs> netting anything. Um, but you've got two really good projects that I followed and that are really awesome. So why don't you kind of let our viewers know what those are and then tell us why you got involved. Yeah. You know, good question. First off, thanks for having me. And I love this conversation. Um, not just for the side hustle conversation, because I think everyone is sort of looking to mix up their clinical lives a little bit. But um, I think it's an important one because really, as I've um, tried and dabbled in different arenas, I've realized that we as physicians can really redefine what success looks like and what our careers look like. And whether you feel trapped in academics or trapped in sort of the trenches of, you know, clinical community medicine, the reality is it is a grind everywhere. And um, trying to find the right balance, I think, is everyone's biggest struggle. And we all have different passions. And so I think for me, you know, my story is pretty different, I guess. I walked into my internship uh, eight and a half months pregnant, so that was fun, and with my first baby. And um, Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That, <laughs> I hid that during the interview. <laughs> I, say, I think I was about four months It's hard to hide at eight pregnant. months, but yeah, yeah. I hid the pregnancy with yeah during the interview. And then I walked in, and I was like, hello, I'm here. And um, I think I took one ICU night on call, super pregnant, and then I took maternity leave and had my first baby. And, and then the juggle of... Um, having a newborn and being a new intern. And I was doing a transitional residency at the time. This is when I trained at USC, but USC was a two through four. So I was a one, a PGY one somewhere else in this little dinky um, community hospital in Long Beach, California. And um, I think that being a new mom and um, being a resident in a pretty busy tertiary care center, such as USC, that was super intense, was a like just a juggle, right? You just learned quickly how to survive. And really it was, I mean, everyone's surviving during residency, but for me, it was like when I came home from a shift or when I came home from an on-call shift as an intern, I had a newborn to feed. Like there was no, there was not much sleep to be had. And so I think that quickly reframed for me through the rest of the, my training of what was important in terms of priorities. It was, you know, self-care wasn't even in the picture at that stage. It was really just trying to keep this child healthy and alive and trying to keep myself functional and uh, my family moving forward. And and so I think that in some ways limited me, like I wasn't able to explore some of the educational stuff I really wanted to do or go do cool international work, which I would have loved to have done and I'll still hope to do someday. Um, I have always been interested in business and, you know, but just if you guys have kids, you know, it's just it's, you're tied down for a little while. 
second baby, I, I swore I would never get pregnant again, of course, by the uh, end of my senior <laughs> year. <laughs> I was uh, stupid enough to do it again, but I'm grateful to have two healthy kids. And so then post-training is really when that sort of exploration started to happen. I graduated. I figured I was going to be a 100% community doc and go work in the trenches, and I loved it. Um, but I felt like there was just something missing. And I really saw the community docs as heroes, and I still do. I think of all of the clinical outlets that people have. The community docs are uh, really under-recognized heroes, in my opinion. They are in the trenches seeing patients day in and day out, and it is a horrendous grind. And so I, I did miss sort of the academic side of teaching residents, and I thought, you know, maybe I was wrong. Maybe I should go back to my chair and take that job he offered me that I returned down. <laughs> so I called him up after having actually one of the sickest kids I've ever seen in the community ever. Um, I called him up and said, you know, I want to go back and maybe do some PEDS shifts and just sort of do, I was too old to kind of do a real PEDS fellowship, but I just want to work in the PEDS ED and sort of learn by fire. And um, he said, sure. So I went back and worked sort of both. So I moonlighted in the community and then I was working a pretty much full-time clinical load um, in an academic setting back at USC. I don't know if I've ever heard anyone voluntar- voluntarily say, <laughs> uh, I want to go work some more PEDS shifts. Um, besides <laughs> nope. like true pediatric EM docs, like that's, yeah. uh, that's amazing and terrifying. Well, I, my friends thought that I was ridiculously stupid and insane. <laughs> and, uh, and to their point, maybe so, you know, that one case that I had, I think I was about six months out. And again, it was in the community in a place that had no PICU. There was a NICU, but this kid was like two years old when he came in and he was crashing and dying. And I remember that feeling of, just, you know, of course, it's two in the morning. Of course, you have no resources. I don't even have a helipad to put this kid on. Like, I can't fly him out. Like, it was a horrendous kid survived. But that feeling of um, just feeling so insecure, despite having four years of training, right? Having a really, really sick kid by yourself at two in the morning was extremely humbling. And that was enough motivation for me to want to go back. And I was like, I want to be around this more so that I don't feel this way again. And um, so I did. So I did that for about about four or five years and um, working like 12 to 15 PEDS shifts a month. Um, so I learned a lot and then got my outlet of, you know, teaching residents again. And you would think that would be enough. I had two kids and, you know, moonlighted still in the community practice as well. But um, right around that time also, I was um, dabbling in MRAP and uh, started with HIPPO. And at the time they were kind of under one big umbrella. So it was easy and that was sort of the creative side that I had never really tapped into. So it was fun. And much like you guys, I mean, we were joking about it, right? None of us really know this weird podcasting skill. It's like so bizarre to stick a microphone <laughs> in front of you. And I personally hate my voice and I cringe still to this day listening to it. So I was like, I don't know if I'm going to be good at this. But um, it's just fun. And I think being able to take what clinically is questions that come up during your shifts and cases and crazy things that happen and and then being able to translate that for other people and to learn and share what you learn I think is um, such a fun experience so that's what sort of opened up the um, education world for me and and uh, nowadays I don't know my life seems to be 90% education and (laughs) 20 well maybe 80% education and 20% medicine so it's a lot of fun it's a pretty incredible balance and honestly we're nowhere near what, what you are, but that's in large part what we were doing. We were having these conversations over breakfast talking about all things medicine and outside of medicine. And at one point, Andy was being kind of modest. He basically said, hey, let's put a mic on the table and start recording ourselves while we're eating breakfast. Um, and that went over uh, pretty well. And amazingly, one person listens to us, let alone uh, more than one. So, uh, <laughs> so I mean, that's a really incredible story. So how, as you were progressing through that, um, 
how did you incorporate balancing life? Because now you have three aspects of life. You, you already talked about how two can be difficult enough, particularly when you have families. But now, now you're talking about bringing in a third thing. And as passionate as you are about it, that, that takes so much effort and coordination. The challenge is that, right, I, these are not three full-time jobs. They, they weren't at the time. So it was basically piecemealing um, together the balance. Because you're right, there's only so many hours in the day. Um, and so, Although somehow a, Andy gets 28 hours in a 24-hour day. We haven't figured it out yet. But. Yeah. <laughs> that I'm not surprised. It's I think we ins- all are, you know, very It's insomnia. <laughs> insomnia. Yeah. yeah, it is. A lot of insomnia. I, you know, I don't know how to answer that, except that, you know, I, I, I still have imposter syndrome. Like, I'm not a real full-time community doc, so you can't really, you know, can't really count <laughs> me in as that. And I'm not a real academic, you know, physician, so you can't really count me out as that as well. And, and over time, I would say I, I just, I was able to, I was fortunate enough to sort of, the more education work that I did and uh, working for, a, uh, you know, a, a company that could help sort of buy down my clinical time, if you will. And so that was... Uh, that was a blessing. But in that, you know, it's funny, you said you guys were just sort of over a cup of coffee, and I decided to record one day. That's how I started my small business sort of along the way also. So 2014, I think I was, I don't know, a couple years at a residency and two girlfriends and I were shooting the breeze over a bottle of wine and talking about how many and by that time, our kids were all in like preschool and kindergarten age. And we had parents knocking on our doors all the time, asking for medical advice and, you know, bringing their like lacerated children to our front doors. <laughs> just, I mean, you guys know, if you have kids, you know, the, the barrage of texts for medical consults and stuff. And so we just said, you know, wouldn't it be nice someday to just actually have like some of the crap that we have at work, like just even like four by fours or Steri strips or Dermabond or any of that stuff that would be nice to have at home. And so that's what motivated us to start three mommy doctors, three MD. And, and that became our very expensive hobby from 11 PM to two in the morning to answer your question, Drew, uh, where do you find the time? It was 11 PM to two in the morning. <laughs> Woof. And, then, and yeah. then we'd get up and take the kids to whatever school and then go work a shift or go do whatever we had to do for the day. So, well, I think that's, that was crazy. That's the equivalent <laughs> of what Tanner and I are doing right now. Cause we both got off at, uh, early this morning after night shift. So yeah, yeah. Exactly. We, we know, we know it's the feeling. The you're the same crazy. That's what it is. Yeah, it's all the same crazy. It's yeah. so funny that we're talking to you right now because uh, two shifts ago, I had uh, like back to back to back like pediatric cases that came in, and mm. it, some of it was very like simple stuff, but it was I could see the parents just being like, "I don't know what to do with this," and it was like one of them was foreign body stuck up the nose with a couple beads, another one was a laceration to the uh, just like the forehead, and it was. Uh, it was so interesting to, cause I got off the shift and the first thing I did when I talked to my wife was like, oh my gosh, I wish we had this, this, and this at home. I think we need to stock up. We have a one-year-old. I know he's going to do this and I know he's going to do this. <laughs> yep. And like, so I could totally see how this, you know, conversation turns into something more. Totally. And Tanner, I mean, I am super neurotic. So we started this first aid company. I have, you know, access to be able to buy medical supplies. So now I have a pair of McGill's in my garage. <laughs> <Nice. laughs> like, I mean, it's stupid what I have actually like, but we joke about it. Like if there's ever a true zombie apocalypse or California falls into the ocean, I might be ready. So <laughs> We're going to Mises house. We're going to Mises yeah, house. Yeah, come to my house. <laughs> That's fantastic. I, so when we first started talking to you, we were trying to figure out a topic to talk about. And the thing that you brought up that really caught our ear was the concept of how to have an unconventional medical career. What, what do you mean by an unconventional medical career? Well, a good question. I think that we are 
trained as right even in the pre-medical era of you have your eyes set on being a physician and you know you think you know what that's going to look like like and and I describe it as like everyone kind of goes through the same process there's no cutting there's no shortcuts you've got to take your pre-med courses you have to take your MCATs you have to apply to medical school get in go through interview process etc match into a residency and then the rest is sort of history right you you take a spot you take a job and you kind of sit there and deal with it and I think that in our era, we are fortunate that there are newer options, and I think it's less restrictive than even 10 or 15, 20 years ago, especially with multimedia becoming, you know, um, so much to the forefront of our day-to-day lives. And it's interesting. I mean, yes, there's a tremendous conversation constantly going on about burnout. And for me, you know, it wasn't necessarily a burnout issue. It was more like, well, why do I have to choose one? Like, I love community medicine, but if I did that full time, yeah, I would be burned out. And if I did academics, it's great. But I also sometimes like just being the doctor, like teaching is one thing and it's fun and it's inspiring and it's engaging and it's challenging because it keeps you on your toes. The residents are always smarter than you and asking good questions. You're like, crap, I don't know. I'll get back to you on that. But sometimes it's just nice to do the actual patient care yourself, right? So I wanted both. I also wanted to do education and podcasting and lecturing. And and I didn't really want to be limited to just one. And, and to your question earlier, Tanner, how do you do all three? You have to choose. Like you, You're either going to do one full-time really well, or you're going to do many things sort of part-time, if you will. And I had to sort of come against and maybe deal with... Um, the issue of like, am I okay with that? And I have a lot of residents and even attendings ask me why, like how, how, like as if I broke the rules, like how did you get away with that? Like, how did you do that? (laughs) Well, there's no rules, right? Like it's just a matter of almost expectation. I feel like you are so, we're so programmed to take on these full-time jobs and just do them and stick with them. And, and there's nothing wrong with that for the people who, who choose to do it and they're fulfilled, like good on you. It's fantastic. Um, I think for me, I just wanted a little bit more variety and I think I was okay with sacrificing the prestige, if you will, right? It's prestigious to have a full-time academic appointment. I don't have that, right? But I'm okay with that because it allows me to do other things. So the way I define success for myself, I felt like was more important. Again, going back to me having young children during residency, I think I quickly learned I could do one thing for the rest of my life. I could be a full-time X, Y, or Z. It doesn't matter whatever you fill in the blank. And I don't know if that's ever going to be enough. Like medicine is just this ever, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, energy suck. It's a time suck. Regardless of how much you give, 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 A, there's someone always to replace you. And B, you really have to enjoy it and do what you love in order to be fulfilled. Not that it's always about receiving, but in order for me to feel like I'm a good physician and to be present, I feel like I really needed that variety. And so now I do, I feel kind of like a jerk because I'll edit and record and podcast all day. And then I'll go in for a swing shift and I'm fresh. Like I'm chipper. I haven't worked in three days. <laughs> now I go in and I enjoy my shifts. My poor colleagues have been working their fifth in a row and they're like pissed. And I'd be pissed too if I were them. So <laughs> I feel super fortunate um, that I have that balance and I feel like it's worked for me. And for those people who want to quote, break the rules, I think my message is that it's okay. Like you can do it and you can redefine success for yourself. I don't think that we need to allow the house of medicine, quote unquote, to define that for us and, or even the expectation of institutions to define what success is. Right. And at the end of the day, like you're the only one that has to put your head on the pillow and sleep well at night. 
And for me, it was a matter of I needed variety and um, it's dynamic and it's busy <laughs> and it's crazy sometimes, I'll admit. Um, but it's certainly never lacking in interest or fun. So That's awesome. I, I really love that concept of self-reflection and saying what truly defines success for me. It's, it's really easy to get boxed into the corners that people project onto us. And so really doing that internal look and saying, hey, does that make me feel successful? Does that make me feel uh, you know, invigorated with what I do? Or do I need a little bit of this or a little bit of that? And I, if there's one thing I've learned so far, it's that just doing basic shifts may not be enough for me. It's, it's, I like having something extra on the side that is maybe similar, maybe slightly different, maybe a little funky, maybe a little weird, but it, it keeps that, that change happening to my, I don't know what it is. It's, it's almost like on shift where you have, you have to go from like a code to Mm -hmm. managing a psych patient to managing a pediatric patient. We as, as ER docs tend to really like that because it's, it's so dynamic and changes uh, our our perspective constantly, which is fun. It's, it's intriguing. And so it's almost the same thing in life, like having that, uh, that those other adjunct things next, next to you that you can have to change your mind and your thought process a little bit is, is awesome. And you just nailed it. I mean, in a lecture I gave at um, Fix or Feminem a couple of years ago, that's exactly what I said was the skill sets that we as emergency physicians have. Like we're not talking about our other specialty colleagues, right? Us in particular are unique. We are risk takers. You're not afraid to try something new, right? You're willing to walk into a undifferentiated sick patient and say, what the hell's going on? And you like that process of problem solving and intervening with the limited information you have. So that already makes you a risk taker. You're able to have multi-sensory input and deal with it and, you know, keep the patient alive at the end of the day, hopefully. Yeah. Um, and so if you apply that to systems outside of the emergency department, even in life, like, I mean, that's what makes you a good parent. Like you can pack a lunch and pack a backpack and get the kid out the door, right? In under two minutes, like you can do it. But I, I talk to friends who are EM physicians who have written a book or who have started a business or who have started a blog. And it's really the same skill set. And I will tell you, I mean, we started a business, you were kind of joking, like you didn't know anything about podcasting. The same thing for us in starting a business, like none of us had an MBA, we we're probably the most unqualified business people out there, right? Like, yeah. we have no idea how to do marketing or sales or manage the FDA or put together products, right? We, we spent a year researching packaging. I and mean, it was funny, like we spent a year going from manufacturer to manufacturer trying to figure out what kind of box we wanted to put these kits in. And so even that, like the reality is you can take your skill set, which is that you don't know, you don't necessarily need to be the expert, but you can figure it out. And I think when you take that mindset and are willing to take the risk and put in the energy and the time, you can literally, I mean, it's cheesy, but you can literally do anything. You can start a business, you can go do something and you'll figure it out along the way. And you know, it might be humbling a little bit here and there. Uh, and you might have micro failures along the way, but I think those are all things that you learn from and uh, become more well-rounded. I love the fact that you tied into the fact that as ER doctors were great for this kind of stuff. Cause I, I wholeheartedly agree, but you know, I think one thing when people listen to, to our shows and then we, we bring people like you on, they always wonder like, what gets you out of bed to do it again? Cause I feel mm-hmm. like there's a lot of people who start, I mean, we, we joked about pod fade that oh, three years were done. Like what, what keeps you waking up and being like, all right, three mommy docs and hippo are still my, are still my jam. Like what, well, what is it? That I keeps love you it. And I think at the end of the day, just like anything else, my friend um, asked me, actually, she was a resident of mine and she's now graduated and making, I think a lot more money than I am and very successful at what she does. And she asked me the other day, she's like, Nies, 
uh, if if you if money wasn't an object, like you could do whatever you wanted, like what would you do? She goes, I know for me, I'd be a food critic. And I looked at her and I was like, you're going to think I'm such a dork, but I would do what I'm doing. Like, I really do feel super fortunate that um, it's been a hodgepodge and it's been a bit of a cluster. But along the way, I'm doing what I enjoy. And I think you have to have that at the end of the day to get yourself out of bed, right? And motivate you. And um, if you don't have that return, something I actually wasn't able to articulate, it was Salim Reza who did, we were talking about the the balance of med ed and, um, and clinical shifts, because he works full time clinically, um, but does a lot of med ed, of course. And, and he was like, I think the thing I love about it is that something that I prep and teach on a blog or learn and put out there on a, you know, podcast, I'm then able to apply it clinically. And that's super true. So that's what makes shifts exciting, right? Is because a you get fodder for your next uh, teaching moment, but vice versa, when you learn something new, about some cutting edge treatment, you can actually go use it on a patient. And so I think if you don't, for me, it was like, if you didn't have both, uh, it just be, it just gets to be a grind. And, and so again, it's not a, a criticism, please hear me for those people who do anything full time, because I think it, it, um, it's honorable and it's incredibly hard work. Um, I just want to encourage those people that are sort of scared or nervous to break out of the box that it's okay to, um, yes, it might be a little risky and sure I could be making a lot more money doing probably one of those jobs full time. Right. But mm-hmm. the reality is like, I guess, you know, what, what drives you. And for me, it's not the money. It's not the prestige. I don't need the title. It's really enjoying at the end of the day, the work that I'm doing. And, and unless you have that, I, I don't know, I think you do burn out and, um, I think it's keeping it keeping it a good mix. Yeah, I, I love that you bring that up because I think that that ties into one of your previous statements is we have to remold what it means to be a physician. I feel like so much in medical school, it's, you know, hey, guys, you're going to take out all this money and you are responsible to pay that. Like they focus so much on the you have to have this 180 hour a month lifestyle to pay off the loans and pay back, you know, everything that medicine has done for you. And I think that that's probably one reason why we are where we are in terms of burnout. But I think that's where you found the balance and that you just that's you just do what you want because you're happy. Yeah. Well, <laughs> do what I want. I mean, <laughs> you're a grown woman. You do I have, want. <laughs> I have kids that tell me what I need to do, but yeah. um, I mean, you know, it's um, yeah, I think, I think the bottom line is that for example, 3MD, which was a small business, you know, grassroots effort that was, is an expensive hobby. Like that is not a money-making thing at all yet. <laughs> um, but I think it's, we do it because we love it. You do it because when we get to speak in front of a group of parents and you're able to communicate to them just basic medical information and translate it to them in a way that they can relate to, that is powerful and that is encouraging and inspiring. And you feel like you're actually making a difference. And it sounds so cheesy, but it's true. And so if you're able to do that in the ED, you know, how many times have you, for example, had the fever conversation with concerned parents at two in the morning, right? Hundreds. Last night. Yeah. 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 And when you're, I just started to realize like this, this is the information that parents really need. And so suddenly you're in a room or a conference center of a thousand parents who are like, you know, holding their children or whatever, and being able to have that open conversation in a non-acute emergency department setting. Listen, I feel like I'm doing us all a favor. Okay. Those are patients that are not going to be coming to see you tonight. <laughs> Thank you. Absolutely. Yeah. So that kind of stuff is, um, is what encourages us to is to continue to do it. So it's fun. It, it's truly amazing to me how many people in emergency medicine, particularly, and you, you touched on that a little bit, find wellness, if, if that's the word we want to use, 
in doing more and different things than just sticking with one thing. I mean, it's really something I think unique about our specialty that that we have this need to spread ourselves thin, but yet by doing that, we actually find more wellness and we find more meaning in what our work is and the three individual, four individual, however many things you're doing, pieces you have. Uh, and it's really impressive. It's, it's an inspiring to hear all the things you're doing and how much passion you have about the three things you're doing. I struggle to get myself and my kids dressed in the morning and have passion. Um, but well, so I do too, though. So and I think that's really, you know, I was I read something earlier today that said something like social media doesn't, you know, no one ever posts their failure. No one ever posts their failures. And I think that's true. Like that also can't be underestimated. And, and so, you know, we all learn from there's that fine balance of how much is too much, you know, how thin is too thin. Uh, and I think, for me personally, like I've, I've tested the limits of each of those things and I've, you know, I'm seven or eight years out from training. So it's taken a while to sort of titrate those levels, if you will. And I still, it's still not perfect because my kids needs are also changing, right? They're older and, um, their school demands are a lot higher. So it's not changing diapers, but it's getting one kid to one sport and the other one to the other sport. So it's that kind of stuff. But for me being able to keep my children at the forefront um, again, kind of going back to that training experience of, I feel like I missed out a lot on that early years of, of them being there. And so able to be a mom and also do these things, um, you know, it, for me, it was worth, it's worth the salary cut. It's worth the lack of prestige. It's, it's, it's works for me. And at the end of the day, you know, my kids hopefully won't hate me. They might still hate me, but, <laughs> but I think it's just a balance and a, and a, and a juggle. So I, I am by no means uh, perfect at it. And every day is, is still a learning experience. And I think you're capable, right, of uh, taking your kids to soccer practice, ballet, and changing a diaper all at the same time, right? With your your age with range. Four, with with four, you yeah, it helps to now that my twelve year old can help with the diaper change. So yeah. Oh my god. My my kindergartner announced yesterday that he changes diapers, and yet I have not seen him change a single <laughs> diaper on his two year old sister. So uh, I'm I yeah no. Yep. Yep. Yeah, it's fun. Kids are fun. Yeah. And, um, you know, listen, the shift work part of our lives, I think, is is good and, and bad. But it, it certainly enables you to have some flexibility. And um, I would just say, if you want to go start something, try it. If you want to write a blog, figure out how to do it. You know, I think that's the other thing is I, I do teach a lot of um, physicians how to podcast. We, we train them in different specialties to do it. And when we start, everyone's like, well, I don't, it's so weird. Like I, it's, you know, I'm nervous and I've never done this and I don't know how to connect everything. And it's fine. Like you'll, we can teach you, you can learn, right. You guys learned it's the same way. So I think you just have to be willing to learn and be humble and try it out and take a risk. And if you want to go write a book, go do it. If you want to go, I don't know, be a dance teacher, figure it out. <laughs> you can figure it out. Well, Mies, we really appreciate you coming on. Uh, we hope this is not the last time you come on. Hopefully this hasn't been so uncomfortable that you never want to hang out with the guys from Ohio. Please, this is fantastic. Um, and we really appreciate your insight. Hopefully that our listeners take it to heart. Uh, we will post some stuff about all the stuff that Mies is doing with Three Mommy Docs and Hip OEM. And don't forget to follow us on our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Sorry, I always forget that we're on Instagram. Don't forget our blog our, site, Andy. I was going to say our blog site, emovereasy.com. And until next time, guys, thanks so much. <laughs>